Well, good morning, church. It is my joy to be among you this morning. Uh, it is such a great privilege and honor to be here. I want to thank you for allowing me to, uh, to bring God's word to you this morning. I, I bring with me from, from all the, the, the saints at Grace Harbor Church in New Bedford, Massachusetts, great, great affection and, and love uh, for you, people of, of Poolsville Baptist, Baptist Church. I want to thank you guys for, for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, the Lord really is using it and honoring it. Um, your, your, your prayers that, that you pray, the, 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 the financial uh, giving that you give, um, the, the desire to, to love a people that you've never met in a place you've, you've never been um, truly is a, a blessing to, uh, to, to us. And so I, I hope that you hear me when I say um, that our church loves you. We, we thank God for you. And uh, if, it, if it were not for you, we, we could not do what God has called us to do. And so, um, so, 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 so I thank you for, for your love and affection for us. I want, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles this morning, uh, open them up. Uh, we're going we're gonna to make our way through the text that, that Brian just, just read for us. Uh, so go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 16. Specifically, we're going to be hanging out in verses 19 through, through 31, which is one of Jesus's great, great parables. And as, uh, as many of you know, us might know, a parable is a, is a way of storytelling. It, it's, a, it's a story within a story. And, and, and the story often will have multiple, multiple points um, some of them are, are obvious, some of them not so obvious, but, but it's the job of, of the listeners, or, or in our case, the readers, to, to pick up on the deeper meaning that's within the story. So, so it's our job this morning to, to kind of pick up on what Jesus is, 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 is laying down and, and to read in between the lines of the story. And in this particular story, this, this particular narr- uh, um, parable uh, that, that Brian just read for us, it, it's always been very, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, in fact, I remember the, f- the first time I read this story, I was in maybe my late teens, my early 20s, and, and God used it in a very particular and pointed way in my life to help, help reshape my understanding of my own personal story uh, and to see myself not, not so much as, as a victim, but as, a, as a, one who's victorious in Christ. But like many, perhaps even here this morning or, or, or in our you know, community, my, my personal story started off uh, not great circumstances. I, I grew up in the inner city of Seattle. My, my father was uh, in prison, uh, a significant chunk of my, 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 my childhood life. My mother had a, about a sixth grade education. And, and, and from the very young age, I kind of grew up hustling on the streets, um, kind of walking in the footsteps of, 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 of my dad. And I remember, as I would often be sitting on, uh, on our stoop on Aurora Avenue, a stoop is, uh, I think maybe here you call them a front porch or, or steps, and in the inner city we call them stoops, and, and people are always out on the stoops, and it, it's, it's kind of like a communal watering hole. We, we, we yell across at our neighbors, and we see people, and, and I remember uh, in Seattle being out on our, our stoop um, and watching cars drive by, and, and I could see with my eyes that there were people who lived vastly different lives than we did. 
but, but, but their lives seemed unattainable to, to me, to, to a family like, like mine. It was almost as if life had completely forgotten about people like us. It had completely bypassed us. And it wasn't long before my, my young little heart began to, to, to form and, and create this, this narrative uh, that there were two types of people in the world. There, there, were, the, there were the haves, and, the, and then there were the have-nots. That, that there are the, the, the plenty, and then the poor. There were the well-known, and then were, there were the forgotten. There were the comfortable and, and the uncomfortable, the, the secure and the vulnerable, the, the healthy and the unhealthy. Those who lived in abundance and then those who lacked the most basic needs. And, and fast forward a number of years and, and through a, a bunch of um, really kind of crazy circumstances, God plucks me out of that family and adopts me into a spiritual family. I didn't even realize that I was up for adoption, but, but God, uh, apparently God knew I was. And, and so God adopts me into the family of, of Christ. And, and as I begin to grow in, in my faith uh, and this new spiritual family, what I began to learn was that there is indeed two different groups of people. And those two groups are defined by their possessions. Those who have taken hold of or possess Christ and those who have not. And this morning, what I hope that we will see from, from God's word is that this reality, let's just, let's just call it uh, this morning, uh, gospel hope. That, that this gospel hope has the power to change people's lives. People who, who live in our communities, in our cities, our towns, our, our neighborhoods. I don't care what, what context you live in, if Jesus' words are, are always true, that wherever you live, if you have eyes to see, the poor and the marginalized will always be near you. And so if this is the case, then, then this morning, what, what we want to answer is the question that poor and marginalized people are asking. And, and that is, what is the gospel hope for me? What is the gospel hope for those who are forgotten? Well, church, according to this parable this morning, the hope of the gospel for the poor and the forgotten is that those who are wealthy are those who, who live by faith and repentance. Those who are wealthy are, are those who, who live by faith and repentance. That's, that's the hidden gem in this parable. That, that's the story with, within the story. The, the rich are, are not those who have great feasts, but the rich are those who have great faith. And I don't know about you, but... but, but for me and, and the people that, that I live life with, that's a really hard reality to remember, especially in a world that is polished and, and puts trinkets before us. It, it's, it's a really hard to remember that those who possess true wealth are those who in Christ and not those who, who have the world's riches. And so, 
So church, let's just, if we could just take a minute, I just want to pray for us that God, by his spirit, would help us to cling to biblical reality versus the physical world that, that we see. Let's, let's pray. Father God, this morning we, we come to you, and, and, and I just want to pray on behalf of all that you have gathered this morning, that you would help reorient and shift our way of thinking, that, that your holy scriptures would, would actually conform, conform our thoughts, that, that what we might believe to be true about the world would, would only be true according to your word, that, that what we see and what we're sold, that we would actually see it for what it is and for what it's not. And that by faith and by your, the power of your spirit, that you would lead us to follow your commands, to understand a biblical worldview, and to reshape and to, to head our life according to your word. Would you help us, God? And the church said, amen, amen. Well, our story starts in verse 19, and, and it says that there was what? Uh, a man, right? Uh, and, and what type of man? Well, it says that there was this, this rich man. And this rich man, it says, uh, as we, as we you know, start our, our story here, uh, it shows, it tells us that, that he, he has uh, an apparently an embarrassingly large man wardrobe. Uh, now, perhaps if he, if he was a woman, maybe it, it, wouldn't, it would be more, more acceptable, but for a man, a man shouldn't have this large of a wardrobe. And, and this rich man, his wardrobe is so big, it sees, says that, that he has multiple upon multiple of every type of, of clothing item imaginable. And not only does he have lots of clothing, but he has rare and expensive, hard-to-find items. The text says that, that the man likes to make a statement, and, and his, the, the way that he likes to make a statement is by wearing a particular color, the color purple, which just happens to be the most expensive and, and rare garment of its day. And the reason for that is because the, the, the dye that was used to make purple was, was extremely rare. It was reserved only for, for kings, only for royalty. So in other words, this, this rich man is, is living like a king. He, he, he wears only, as it says, if you look down in your Bible, it says only fine linens. None, none of that Hanes or that Fruity the Loom stuff. Okay? Only, only linens with high thread counts are good enough to touch his skin. But, but notice what else it says about this man. Not only does, it have, does, he, does he have all the clothing, in my neighborhood they, they, call, that, they call it drip. I don't, I don't know where that came. He has all the, all the clothing, but, but he, he also has all the food. His refrigerator, his, his pantry are, are well stocked. Growing up, we used to call, we used to call families with well stocked refrigerators people who live in the land of good and plenty. They had all the good foods and plenty of it. And, and that's the picture of this man. He, he has food not just for substance, but he has food for feasting. He was a man who, who looked down in your Bible with me, and I'm not, I'm not telling you anything that's not there. He, he was a man, as it says, that feasted lavishly every day. Every day was Thanksgiving. He was a man who lived in the land of good and plenty. But then we come to verse 20. 
And what we see in verse 20 is that Jesus begins to, he, to introduce us to another character. And, and this character is portrayed as, as opposite of the rich man. It says here that, that there was, verse 20, a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who was lying at the gate, laying at the, the rich man's gate. You see, unlike the, the rich man who, who appears to be healthy, this man named Lazarus is shown to be, to be unhealthy, perhaps suffering not from unknown diseases with, with no cures, but, but perhaps suffering from, from known ailments that have, that have common cures but require attention and medicine and remedies that he just doesn't have access to. It was just over a couple of years ago that, that my mother passed away at the age of 62, and, and ultimately what, what, she, what she died from was, uh, was, was ignorance and poverty. Uh, she, she passed away from uh, uh, ailments that people in third world countries no longer pass away from. And, and, and the sad part about her particular story is that, is that she's not alone. That there are, there are those in our communities who are, who are poor and forgotten, trapped in generational poverty, uh, and, 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 and that often lack basic resources. And, and the way that we often uh, tend to think about poverty is, is only through through, through finances. But, but friends, this morning, the, the poverty that our text is talking about, the, the poverty that, that, that I'm, I want to share with you this morning, that, this, that this, in this parable is much more than just material poverty. And in fact, often, the, the poor and, and the marginalized often have, have plenty of cash on hand. Yes, it, it's clear that, that, that our brother Lazarus is lacking material need, but, but th- th- that he's, he's poor in spirit. But, but the story within the story is actually about a rich man who is bankrupt in faith. It, it's a story about spiritual poverty. There's a, uh, an American uh, uh, educator and author named Ruby Payne who writes a lot about uh, generational poverty and the effects of it. And uh, one of the things that, that she talks about is that people who are trapped in generational poverty uh, most often stay poor for eight different reasons. Uh, she says that the, the, the poor and the forgotten suffer from, from number one, things like, like a poverty of language. That, that, that people who are stuck in generational poverty uh, lack the ability, the, the vocabulary, the communication skills, the negotiation skills to get their ba- most basic needs. So in Massachusetts, I, I don't know what you, we have like the DMV or, or the RMV where you go to register your vehicle or to get your driver's license. What's it called here? DMV, okay. So, so you have the DMV, and I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe your DMV is, is like a well-oiled machine. Ours is not. Ours is, ours is the birthplace of sloths. Um, and, and so to go there, you have to be able to negotiate. And if you don't know how to negotiate, you will not get what you need. Uh, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at negotiating. I've gone there seven times to get one thing done. 
Uh, just different, like, okay, why didn't you tell me this the first time? Okay, I'll go do this. I'll get this. Um, in fact, I just, I just, for this trip, I just went uh, and had to go get my TSA pre-check uh, thing because I keep missing flights because I'm in a security line. And so I went to go get that, and same thing. I, it, it took me three different times. Uh, uh, so often, we, we have to, to have vocabulary and communication skills to get the ba- most basic needs. And, and often people who are trapped in generational poverty have a poverty of language that keep them from that. Secondly, she says a poverty of knowledge, that, that, that there's, there's people who just don't know how the, the unspoken rules of society or how to navigate how the world works. So, so they, don't, they don't quite understand the, the, the social taboos or, or the, 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 the rules of, of our world. There's a poverty of, of relationships, number three that she identifies. She says that, that there, are, there are people who are stuck in this, in this life. Uh, they lack role models to look to, and they don't have people in their lives that are good for them. Number four, a poverty of support systems. People who they can rely on when times get tough to help bring them through, to, to just give them a call and to help bail them out. Number five, she, says a, a, she identifies a, a poverty of physical health. They, they, they lack the, the physical mobility and the ability to work. You see, for a person to work, their body must work to actually get them to their place of employment. Three more, she, she says, a poverty of spiritual health. They, they don't have a divine sense of purpose or, or in their lives. They, they don't understand their place in this world. Number, two more, number seven, uh, there's a poverty of mental health that, that, that often they, they lack the cognitive skills and knowledge for, needed for everyday life. And then lastly, a poverty of emotions. They, they're not able to control their emotional response to life's challenging situations. And so what happens is when this is the life that you're born into, when this is the life that you grow up in or, or that's been held, or the, the cards that you've been dealt, what happens is you're, you're left unable to sustain yourself in the personal needs of your family, which is exactly what we see here in verse 21. Look down with me. Verse 21 says that he, he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead, what did he get? Only the dogs to come and, and tend to his wounds. Why, why is Lazarus church, sitting at the rich man's gate? Well, because he, he hopes that the rich man will have compassion on him. He, he, he longs for mercy. He, he prays that, that the scraps from, uh, or, or just the little bit of leftovers, that instead of the leftovers going back into his refrigerator, that somehow the leftovers would, would make itself out to the gate and, and, and out to him, that he might find satisfaction from his starvation. But notice that the only care and the only satisfaction that comes his direction is not from the rich man, but from dogs tending to his wounds. Now, now follow me. What does this mean, then, for those in our communities who are poor and forgotten? Well, first of all, it means that they aren't. The first gospel hope that we see from this text is that the marginalized are, are not forgotten. I think this is, a, this is an easy uh, truth from our passage this morning for us to, to perhaps overlook, 
That, that even though this, this man, this Lazarus, is overlooked by everyone else, he's not overlooked by God. That, that actually God sees him for who he is, that, that no one escapes God's eyes. This is a, a simple truth, church, but it's an important truth. The poor and the forgotten never go unseen by our great God who abounds in steadfast love and is filled with great compassion. This morning, I, man, I'm, I'm quite confident that there are, are those here at some point in your life or in maybe even today or, or in this season of life that you're in that, that maybe you're, you're feeling forgotten, overlooked, neglected, marginalized. Brother, sister, I hope what you hear this morning is, is that even if the world overlooks you, the Lord of heaven and earth sees you. Those who, who perhaps are, are struggling with infertility and crying out to God, why, why will you not answer, God sees you? Those who are, are laboring so hard at work, day in and day out, only to be passed over time and time again. The Lord loves you and he sees you. Those who, are, who have internal conflict in, in their family or in their marriage, you're begging God to rescue you. You're begging him to, to show up and to do, listen, God has not forgotten you. And the question that I want to pose for us this morning, church, is that if God sees them, then should not we as well? And if we do see them as God sees them, should that not change the language and our thoughts about them? In, my, in, our, in our context of our, our ministry, we, like I said, we're, we're a very inner city ministry, and so all of the effects of generational poverty, we, we have uh, mental health and, and homelessness and, and substance abuse. It's, it's the population that we most often uh, work with. Um, and and, and, and I'm, I mean, there's times that I'm just as guilty as this as ever, but, but how often we take the position of the rich man and we, we turn away from, from those who are marginalized, we, we turn away from those who are on the out group, we, 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 we rob them of, uh, with our thoughts and our words of, of their God-given value and, and intrinsic dignity. We, we say to ourselves, oh great, just, just another junkie. Or, or, well, it's their own fault. She got herself into that position. Or, 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 or things like, you know, they, they, they choose this lifestyle. Or, or, or if, well, you know, if, if he would just go and get a job. Or, or if they would stop spending their money on this and start doing this. But, but the crazy thing, and just for my own personal story, is I never once saw, saw one of my parents ever take a drink or smoke a cigarette. Outside looking in, you, you could have made all sorts of presumptions about that family, about the Proudfoot family. But the reality is, is that behind closed doors, there was so much more going on than anyone could have ever imagined. You see, the, the first way that the gospel brings hope to the, to the poor and the forgotten, and again, I'm not using that word poor just as financially poor. I'm talking about all of those, all the ways of, of that poverty encumbers, 
The, the first way that, that it brings hope is that it reminds them that, that they are seen, that they're not forgotten, that, that God knows them, he sees them, he cares for them. And, and because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in us through the gospel, so do we. So do we. And church, that's not a love that's rooted in pity or charity, but it's a love that, that's rooted in loving all image bearers. All image bearers of God, no matter where they might fall on the, on the social economic index. And, and here's the secret. When the poor and the forgotten know this, when they know that they're seen, when they know that they're loved, when they, when they know that like, they're, they're not forgotten and that they're cared about, it, it actually changes uh, it, 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 it changes not only the way that they feel about God, not only the way they feel about you, but, but it changes the way they feel about themselves. You see, God-given dignity, value, and worth is fuel for personal and spiritual and physical change. So, so that's, that's the first gospel hope that we, that we see in our text, that, that the marginalized are not forgotten. But, but there's more. Notice what happens next in the parable. As different as both of these men's lives are, as different as both of their, their, their personal experiences have been, notice what happens to both men equally. Both men eventually die. They, they, they die. And this is the, the second great gospel hope of this parable is, is that the poor and the forgotten, of the poor and the forgotten, is that true and lasting justice will be served. True and lasting justice will be served. Look at verses 22 through 26 with me. It says, one day the poor man, what's that word? Died. And he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The, the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he, he looked up and he saw Abraham a, a long way off with with Lazarus. You see, it's not uncommon for, for people in our day and age to, to reject any notion of heaven or hell. But, but what is clear in our text is that there is both a literal heaven and a literal hell. There is a, a heavenly place that awaits the righteous who are saved by faith, and there is an eternal hell that awaits those who reject the kindness of God extended to them through Jesus Christ. And, and the great irony of our passage this morning, friends, is that the rich man, being in the place of eternal torment, he, he looks up and, and, he, and he, he sees the man that was, that was at his gate, the, the, the man that he stepped over to get into his, his doorway, the the, the, the one that as he, as he closed his blinds that night, he, who saw he was still there. He's, he's looking up and, and, and he sees him and what he sees him with, he sees him with, with the father of, of the 12 tribes and he sees him in a place of comfort. You can imagine how shocking that would have been to this man. What a picture of great reversal this is. The beggar has become rich, and the rich man has become the beggar. 
the, the rich man is, is now the one in agony crying out, and it's Lazarus who's being fully satisfied and comforted. So what happens in verse 24? He, the rich man who's now in agony call, cries out, and he, he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Another way that, that, that we could read that is, is him saying, is him saying, Show me the mercy that I never showed Lazarus. And he says in, in verse 24, he says, And send Lazarus to, to dip the tip of his finger in water and, and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. But verse 25, notice what Abraham says to him. He says, Remember that, that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot and neither can those from there cross over to us. What is the gospel hope for the poor and the forgotten? Well, it's not only that that you are not forgotten by God. But it's also that if you are in Christ, you will be saved by faith. That, 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 that he will right all the wrongs that, that you have ever encountered. That all the suffering that you've experienced in this life will be as bad as it ever gets for you. The gospel hope here is that in a world full of injustice, God will execute true and lasting justice. That God will settle all scores. That, that no longer do, do you have to live your life self-protecting, being on, on guard, protecting your back, living in suspicion of everyone who's trying to take advantage of you, enslaved to bitterness, longing for revenge that God's justice is free and liberating for those who, by faith and repentance, turn to him. And for all the Lazaruses in the world, it's this gospel hope that, that gives us the strength and the, and, and, and the power to, to persevere through the injustices that we will most certainly encounter in this life. I don't know if you've experienced it. We, nobody makes it through this life unscathed, right? We, we live in a fallen world. Injustice is, you turn the news on, it's everywhere. The way that we make it through is through the perseverance that God supplies to us by his spirit. Which brings us to our, our third and our last gospel hope that we see in this parable and that is this, that only the gospel creates equality before God. Only the gospel creates equality before God. You see, what's fascinating in our, in our parable, friends, is that it's only when the rich man hears that he cannot pass from where he's at to where he wants to be, that he cannot he cannot. He cannot, he cannot travel through these two great chasms that suddenly he develops a spiritual burden for the people he knows. 
for, for, for people who might still have time to live a life of faith and repentance. He recognizes that there is a, a, a horrific fate that awaits the unrepentant. And he hopes that maybe, just, just maybe, he can do something about it for those who are, who are still living, that he still loves, that he still cares about, that he still knows. Look down in your Bibles at verse 27 with me. He says, he says Father, crying out to, to, to Abraham, he says, then I beg you to send, send him, send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers. Warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, now remember, what do we say about parables? Parables are all about a story within a story. It, it's fascinating. This is a fascinating response that Jesus, speaking on behalf of Abraham, says, uh, especially considering that it's Jesus telling the story, the very one who's going to what? Rise from the dead, and after he does, as the scriptures tell us, still some will doubt. You see, friends, it's with, it's with horrific awareness that the, 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 the rich man of our story this morning has come to understand firsthand that there is a limit to God's kindness. There, there are boundaries to God's mercy. And, and that boundary is life itself. And in fact, that's what Hebrews 9.27 tells us. It says that there is a time appointed for people to die once, and after this comes judgment. The, the picture that we're seeing here this morning in our text is a picture of this. This, 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 this man who's, who's lived in the land of good and plenty all of his days, who, who, who's just maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, maybe a mixture of both, has, has turned his head away from the, the poor and the forgotten for the very first time is waking up to a new reality. But, but what makes this reality, this awakening so tragic is that it's too late. You see, not only is this life not only will this life be as, as bad as it ever is for those who submit to Christ, but church, what we also need to understand is, is that this life is as good as it will ever become for those who reject Christ. Abraham tells him, during your life, you received your good things, bro. I'm sorry, your, your, time, is, your time is over. So for us, what does that mean? For those of us here this morning who are in Christ, as the days of, your, of, of drawing your, your last breath, day by day, get closer. As, as, as day by, if you think about your life as an hourglass and, and the sand in it as as as. A, as, as time, as minutes, as days, as hours, as years, as decades, as, as, as you think about your, your life going through that, that hour class and, 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 and the day of the last grain of sand coming through, 
and you draw your last breath, who are the brothers and sisters in your life that you are gonna be filled with great regret over because you never told them how they can escape God's wrath against their sin? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, friend, man, make sure you do not leave without understanding that all people are created equal in the sight of God. That, that no matter their earthly possessions, their status, their, their, their name, what side of the tracks they came from, that all are equal. All are dead in their trespasses against God. But what else you need to know is that the peace and, and the satisfaction and, and the healing and the hope and the, injust, and the, and the justice and, and the mercy that, that you desire in this life are only, it's, it's only found in the good news of Jesus Christ. The one by whom God proves his own love for us by sending his son to die for us while we were still yet sinners. Which means... That, that those who, who drive nice cars and, and BMWs and Mercedes and, and, and I don't know if you drive one of those. If you do, I'm not picking on you. I'm just using it as an example. Uh, but but if you, those who drive nice cars can, what this means is that they can actually be poor. What, what this means is that those who rely on assistance, government assistance, can actually be rich. That, that true and lasting wealth is only found by placing your faith and your allegiance in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sin. That all people, despite their background, their pedigree, the degrees behind their name, their family name, the things they've done in this life, the things they've not done in this life, can become rich indeed. How? This is so beautiful. Through the harsh poverty of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus, who, who was rich and what? Became poor. For our sake became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Friends, this is the beautiful hope of the gospel. This is, this is the gospel hope that, that God used to change my life. It's, it's the gospel hope that, that he's saving men and women by uh, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. It's the same gospel hope that God is saving people, calling people to himself all around the world. And, and the reality is, is man, we, we've all, like, at different times, different places, we, we've all felt marginalized. We've all felt forgotten. We, we, we've, 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 we've all been enslaved by our circumstances and, and, and we've all had these moments and these times and these seasons where revenge and bitterness just ruled and reigned in our hearts. But what Jesus is asking people to do is the same that he says that, that Moses and the prophets told the people to do. And that is to change their ways before it's too late. To change their ways before it's too late which should leave us this morning, friends, with developing a spiritual burden for every single person that we meet. And so let's just ask the question as we kind of wrap this up. Who are the Lazaruses 
in your life, in your, in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your schools? Who, who, who are the, the poor and the forgotten? Do, do you know them? Do they, do they know the gospel hope that's made available to them? Do, do, they, do they know that they are welcomed by Jesus, that they are loved by you, and that they are desired by this church? In what ways are you intentionally or, or unintentionally even living like the rich man, ignoring the world around you? This morning, friends, I pray that, that you have seen God's heart for the marginalized through his word this morning. That, that our hearts would become like his. That, that we might develop a spiritual burden for, for evangelism and discipleship. You see, friends, my encouragement this morning, what, what, I, what I want to motivate you to do this morning is, is to, to make Jesus' last words your first priority. I'm pleading with you to, to change your prayer life. To start, to start praying great commission-sized prayers. To, to mobilize together for the gospel. I, I don't care how old you are. Kid, our, kids, our kids can tell their peers about Jesus. right? Kids can, can, can tell their classmates about God's love for them, Jesus' sacrifice given to them, their need to repent of their sin and to turn and put their faith in Christ. Parents in the room, it's a busy life, isn't it? The struggle is real. And at the same time, man, I want to encourage you to, to, to live a life with, with, that's seeking to, to, to live by no, with no regrets. Right? To, to, to live our, our days filled with, 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 you know, to be on guard of living our days filled with spiritual and relational regret like, like the rich man pleading for more time. The time is now. This is, this is the time that God's given us to, to love and to, to proclaim and to reach. And so what might it look like for us this morning to make a personal commitment to the Lord? No matter your age, no matter, no matter your, 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 uh, your, your means, no matter your status, what might it look like for us to make a personal commitment to the Lord that says, God, whatever you call me to do, wherever you call me to go, my answer is yes. I don't want to, I don't want to end my days like the rich man with relational regret. And so church, the invitation this morning is to I want to invite you to throw your life away for the gospel. To just, if you can get one thing in life right, if you can spend your remaining days doing only one more thing, make it, make it about getting the gospel to as many people as you can. If you can retire anywhere, I want to encourage you to consider retiring where, where the gospel needs to be proclaimed and, and living your life as a, as a retired missionary. If you, if, you can, if you can work remotely from anywhere, I want to encourage you to consider moving to an unreached people group and, and, and living your life as a bivocational missionary. If, you can, if students, if you can go to school anywhere, 
might you consider going to school in, a, in an area that needs the gospel and living your life as a student missionary? And when you go, friends, when you meet them, as you get to know them, be sure to go and tell them that God loves them, that you see them, that justice is coming for them, that the peace of Jesus Christ has been made available to them. And I assure you on the words of, of just, man, one beggar to, a, to another, that that will be a life well lived. You will have no regrets at the end of your days. By God's grace, he, he will, he will, he, he's, he will keep his word. He, he's faithful to build his church. He's, he's faithful to save sinners. 